Welcome to Bible in a Year. This is our first, uh, I guess it would be calling an episode, right, of Bible in a Year. We're going to do this, go through the entire Bible in 52 weeks. And um, it's, you know, it really starts out exciting. If you love the Bible, you've read the Bible, you know that Genesis is an incredible place to start. Um, in fact, you might have a hard time putting down your Bible at uh, Antria and Natasha. Welcome. It's good to have you with us as we start this. I know there are many others that are going to be joining us and watching us. We're just basically going to go through um, the chapters uh, that we have to read every day, and we're going to go through them. You can ask questions. This is really a time, not so much that I'm preaching or giving a devotional out of this. It's really more for uh, those that join in to ask questions about the reading, maybe things that um, you were wondering. I may bring up some things that I found as well. I'm sitting here with uh, ben, who's been part of helping us set all this up, he's already kind of asked me a couple of questions we may bring up as well. Some of them I'll be able to answer, some of them I won't be able to answer, and uh, but we'll be able to kind of marvel and meditate on it together. Um, and, you know, we really, we're starting out, and I love this format, we're going to start out um, right from the beginning uh, with the Pentateuch, uh, or or it's often called the Torah. And this was written by Moses. I know there's some debate of whether or not he wrote it because they didn't think he'd write it in the third person uh, or not. But most scholars believe that Moses uh, wrote this. And what's interesting is uh, in the first part, what we read in the first few days of Genesis um, from Genesis 1 to uh, 11. I mean, we're going through thousands of years of history. Uh, in these first few uh, chapters of Genesis, and then it kind of slows down. And we, we get into more detailed history, even though it does cross over a number of years. And in the New Testament, it's kind of shrunk into a few years of, of history. But in this period of time, we're talking about thousands of years um, that we're reading through. And, and just the, the, the concepts of creation and what takes place there we could spend years talking about just these few first few chapters but let's get started uh if you have any questions about what you've read and, and the day one on january 8th or monday we went through genesis 1 to 3 which really talks about creation to the fall of man and then we went from there uh into f- four to seven <coughs> and then from eight to eleven today and so if you have any questions that you found that, that came up while you were reading that, one in particular thing that I noticed in Genesis chapter 1, just ask the questions in the chat there. We'll, we'll, uh, uh, we'll get to that chat uh, as we move along here. Uh, but if you notice in chapter 1, uh, verse um, uh, 6, it was interesting because, uh, you know, creation, evolution, the argument of all of this is, something that has been of great debate, even among Christians that believe um, that the world was created in, uh, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of years, um, and even millions of years. And then there are those who believe in a young earth. That would be an old earth and in a young earth. And there are those who believe, no, it was created in seven days. 
And I tend to take the belief that it was created in seven days. There's, I know there are a number of people that say it was longer. Uh, the reason I believe that, and, and this is just purely taking it right from the text, in, in verse 3, it says, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. It's like God is identifying day. He's introducing day to the world where there is light and there's night and and it, there's nothing there talking about it was a hundred thousand years of light and then a hundred thousand years of darkness that it was really um you know it was kind of the first day and and so then it moves into six and this is what what i think is cool there's a there's a theory out there called the canopy theory and and if you've noticed just in reading in the how long people lived before the flood, man lived a long time. After the flood, he lives a greatly reduced amount of years. And and if you've never researched this, I would encourage you to go online. You can Google this and look into this. We're not going to go into it completely, but it's called the canopy theory. And it kind of identifies how man could live as long as they did. It identifies a different way of looking at creation that really makes sense. And and actually in, in verse six, it says, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the water from the water. So God made the expanse to separate the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so, and God called the expanse sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. What's interesting is it separates the water not by land, it separates the water by sky. Meaning there was water below and there was water above the sky. And that's where this canopy uh, theory comes from, where there was a frozen ring that would have been above the sky. And when the flood occurred, the, when it said the heavens released its water, which it, it had not rained before then, the water was, earth was watered by springs at the time, that, that canopy that was formed that <coughs> protected them from UV rays, protected them from harmful rays of the sun. It also created more pressure. So like uh, the, the, there would have been more pressure in the body. It would have made breathing much easier. It would have caused our bodies to function, function at a higher level. Um, and so I want to encourage you, go online, you can Google this. It's called the Canopy Theory, and you'll be able to get much more information about it, and uh, I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, uh, Jesse says, uh, what about Gap Theory? I'll put it on the screen for you, Pastor. Yeah, the Gap Theory is a theory that really moves between in, in, in um, uh, verse 1 and 2, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over. And it's talking about a lot of the chaos that was there. And of course, God was not in the chaos. And so some people uh, really believe that this gap that takes place uh, between chapter verse two and three is this moment where Satan actually fell from heaven and he brought chaos to the earth. And God kind of comes and brings order to the chaos when he when he creates the earth. So, uh, again, you all of these are in Google. Uh, we're probably not going to get it in too much detail, but the gap really you're when when you go through this, if you're just reading it, you can see 
uh, you can see throughout the whole Bible, they refer back to things that happen in creation. You're like, well, where does that fit in creation, in the creation story? Well, when we look at it, we can see how it fits. Like for years, uh, six through eight didn't make any sense to me until I really discovered this, this theory of the canopy theory. And boy, it makes a ton of sense. Doesn't mean it, it's a theory. And uh, anybody who tells you a theory is law is lying. Um, there, it, but it is a theory that makes sense and it kind of fits in into historical history too. And some of the uh, dialogue we see there. Yeah, any of you guys uh, have any questions for Pastor James? I see there are quite a few of you in the chat right now. Um, if you have a if you have a question, this whole this whole live stream is going to be based off your uh, question. So if you got one, uh, let us know and we'll we'll discuss that. But Pastor James will keep moving and we'll stop uh, when we see questions. I know me and Pastor James are talking a lot about all the observations that you made just from this week's reading so we'll let you continue with that but I'm going to be I'm watching the chat right now and so is Pastor James and we're going to answer your questions that you guys had for the reading reading so you can get back to it yeah I mean if you look at this there's there's uh you know when we went to the creation museum you'll see a lot of this if you've never been to the creation museum uh, and you want your kids to understand creation as opposed to evolution, I'd encourage you, that is a trip you need to take your family on. Uh, you know, so many things can be answered in Genesis. I mean, the fall of man occurred in Genesis chapter 3. Death entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. You'll find as you were reading that the animals uh, before uh, Genesis chapter 3 would have all been herbivores. Uh, why? Because there was no death. Every living thing lived. You know, one of the questions I, I love to pose to people who want to say evolution is uh, the, the reason we live or where life came from. The question, one question I love to ask atheists is, where did death come from? Genesis chapter 3 says death came when we disobeyed and ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But where did death come from? If everything in in the world at the beginning of our time of this globe was pushing toward life everything was was wanting to live and and amoebas were doing all of that then then what where did death come from if everything was perpetually moving toward life then what brought death and genesis 3 says it it happened when adam and eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and you know sin isn't even mentioned in genesis chapter 3 which really points forward to Christ, the greatest thing Christ came to do was not to just forgive you of your sins, and he did that. The greatest thing Christ came to do was to give us life, to conquer death. That's an incredible thing. That's why God wants us to have life, not not when we get to heaven, but right here, right now. Uh, Pastor uh, Natasha says... <laughs> In, uh, in verse 3, she said, God brought forth uh, light, making night and day. What is the difference between that and the lights in the sky he created, verse 14, to govern the day and the night? I'm assuming the sun and the moon. Yes. Well, well actually, um, my understanding of what that light is is more the light of Christ. Uh, there have been a number of scholars that have re re like um, 
refer to the fact that Christ was actually the light that came by day and would leave like he would walk in the cool of the day and he would be the light at that at that time. Very much um, like in Revelation where it says Christ is the light in Revelation when you look at he is the sun that shines in Revelation. Um, but because because later we see when it talks about the skies says let the waters uh, be gathered God called the dry ground and uh, where where was it um, oh verse twenty and God said let the waters team with living I think it was twenty um, no not twenty yep it says let the waters swarm with swarms oh, of no 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 govern yeah. Uh, verse 14, let there be light in the expanse, the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and days and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. This is where God's creating the stars, which is basically what our sun is, is a star. God is, and it's, it's interesting when you read this, um, you we Christians especially often think studying the stars is a demonic thing. Worshiping the stars is demonic. Worshiping the stars is though they judge our life and that we should make decisions based off the stars. Forms of astrology was not a demonic. In fact, it was astrologists that saw the star in the east and knew Christ was born. Like the skies were pronouncing the birth of Christ. So God created um, the the very tools for which we study in astrology and or in astronomy. Uh, I'm sorry, astrology is a different for astronomy where we study the sky and the moon. Those that's the science of studying it, and and we can learn a lot of things from the stars in the sky. Uh, but the light, they literally, this light is something different than the sun because it wasn't actually created until uh, later in creation. So, uh, Pastor, we got another question from Jen P. Um, she says... She sounds like a very intelligent person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she <laughs> sounds like... You know what? She sounds like a great uh, lady pastor. Yes. Uh, Jen P. says... Why did God not want us to uh, eat from the tree of knowledge? Uh, and how did that change how Adam and Eve viewed each other uh, nakedness? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think and, and it's an incredible question. I, In fact, I was just talking to uh, our campus pastors about this, that, uh, that there's something going on there. And I can't answer that question. But there's something going on there because... It was just Adam and Eve in the garden, and they ate of this fruit, and immediately shame entered the world. Now, I know there are people who say, well, there's shame. Um, shame of what? They had seen themselves naked before that point. What was it that, that, that why did they feel like they needed to cover themselves because of, because of their nakedness? And it's an interesting, uh, it's a thought, it's something certainly the Holy Spirit um, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to reveal it to me because I've, I've wondered for a long time about this whole thing with nakedness and how it relates to uh, the fall of man in the garden. You know, immediately when they became naked, they, needed to, they felt like they needed to cover up. And isn't that interesting? When, 
when we do something that we know we shouldn't do, our first response is to cover it up. Our first response is to try to pretend like it didn't happen or to, to try to hide it. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden is they went to hide it. What's interesting is they covered themselves with leaves or fig leaves or whatever those, uh, something of, of uh, plant-like. And when God, after he gets done, what does he cover them with? What does he put on them? He puts animal skins on them. An animal dies in order to cover them. And, and we know that Christ had to die in over, order to cover us. The, that the death of an animal was given to them to cover them and to cover their nakedness. So there is certainly is a connection there. I, there's a lot of explanations I've heard over the years on this. None of it really connected with me. I'm just like, yeah, I think it's a stretch. I think a lot of people try to stretch to explain it. Um, but I, I'm asking the Lord to kind of reveal what was going on there. As for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they, the, the, the tree of life was Christ in the garden. So when Christ was at the beginning of time, he was the tree of life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is interesting. Man had a decision to make whether or not they were going to depend on their own knowledge to overcome what had to happen. And, and, and the knowledge of good is as bad as the knowledge of evil. They ate of the fruit, they experienced evil, and then they tried to cover up the, the knowledge of evil with the knowledge of good. And the Bible says our righteousness is filthy rags. Um, when you try to do more good to overcome the bad, which is what a lot of religion suggests, am I good enough to get to heaven? No, you're not. You're, it's, it's, right, it's righteous rags. Uh, you really have to go to the tree of life um, to experience the kind of life that God has for you. So it looks like as far as questions goes, um, not any in the chat. Again, uh, if you guys are watching right now, if you guys just jumped on, um, we are doing a Q&A. So pastor is going to make his observations um, about the scripture and what he read. But the purpose of this is that we answer yours. We want to know what you guys think, whether it be observations or questions that you have. So pastor is going to keep moving on yeah. from observations that he's making, but put it in the chat and we'll, we'll pick your questions and we'll talk about them. Yeah. Go to Genesis one twenty seven, And it's so hard really to cover. It's, there's so much stuff here, but something that I thought was interesting Genesis 127, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him male and female. He created him. God created man, male and female. And it's really a thing of biology uh, that God created. You know, God created man to be man and woman to be woman for a reason. But um, what's interesting, not only are we created in his image, which is powerful in and of itself because when we when we have an identity in his image we won't be insecure we're very secure in that but i love to go to it i love history i love going back to history you know oftentimes when we think of ancient days when we think of ancient people like reading through these these uh chapters we often think that humans are more like cavemen we see them more like uh cro-magnon man uh, or, you know, some caveman with some deformed skull and, you know, weird bodies. And we, we get this image because 
evolution and what we've shown in textbooks shows us these people like they're not developed, that they're ape-like, that they don't have a developed mind. And and then when you when we were in Turkey um, uh, about six months ago, I was in Turkey, and you see these extraordinary structures that have been built thousands of years ago, and, and we see this, and they think because their view of man is is caveman-like, they believe that literally UFOs or aliens of other countries had to come to build these things. They don't understand with the absence of a caterpillar tractor or uh, hydraulic uh, tools, how can they build these things without the help of some alien force? And I think we we need to understand that the people in Genesis... This, th- these, these men that, that were with God in the cool of the day were not less intelligent than we were. They were likely far more intelligent than we were. They were far more, they were likely far more resourceful than we were. And we can see the, how they were able to do things without all the tools that they had. It doesn't mean that they, they had all the inventions. I mean, we've created inventions over time. We've, we've discovered things over time and then used the discoveries to do things. But this assumption that man was somehow less intelligent back in those days is, is really demonic and not at all true and man did not come from apes because we were created in the image of God and there's some Christian scholars that have said that it's almost farcical when you read Genesis 1 through 15 like it's some joke of some kind I, I, I don't know how you can read the Bible in its totality and 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 not believe Genesis chapter one through fifteen and say somehow it's it's not possible you know it is possible. We got a question here from John. John asks, uh, beginner here, and maybe I misinterpreted, but why did Adam blame Eve when God confronted them? Uh, did he fear God? Well, I think isn't that what human humans do? Once you he so Adam ate of the fruit. Death enters the world, and it is in this moment we see the first act of blaming someone else. And isn't, isn't that what we do? Isn't that human nature from that moment? We cover up and we blame other people. It, it's not, I'm the victim. This, I, I, isn't it amazing how humans never want to take responsibility for their failures? Um, we, we always want to blame someone else or something else for how I got to the place I got to. And maybe it contributed to it. Maybe Eve did give him the fruit. But Adam knew when he ate the fruit that it came from the tree. He wasn't eating it out of ignorance. And isn't it interesting, even in marriage, where, where we partake in something and then turn on the very thing uh, that, that we were in, engaged in and try to blame someone else for it. So I, I think, yeah, he, I don't know that he feared God. I think he experienced shame. He experienced this sense of shame that we feel. And, and then there's this natural reflex to when we feel shame, which is why Christ came to uh, conquer guilt, shame, and condemnation so that we wouldn't reflex into blaming people, but we would look to God for breakthrough in those areas of our life.
So good. So good. You know, it, interesting to this, uh, this last week I was on vacation and I like to play golf when we're on vacation. I was with uh, Brad Johnson, a guy in our church who's a, a very good golfer. And uh, we were riding, and 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 we had both been we had played well that week, and that day we were playing bad. And I I said, oh, my shoulder hurts every time I hit a bad shot. My shoulder hurts, and it, and then it came to my realization: isn't it interesting, especially with athletes, whenever you do something bad or you didn't perform or you didn't come through, we always want to point to a reason why it didn't happen, not that I just not just, I didn't play well. I'm, or I'm, that didn't do that well. I didn't practice. And it's, it's always, oh, my shoulder hurts or it's too much wind or it's cold. It's like, we always want to blame something else rather than take responsibility. And we see it immediate. That's a great observation, John. uh, You see it immediately at the fall of man. Got another one here for you, pastor. Uh, Natasha asks, uh, when reading verse 27, I have it pulled up here on the screen for you guys here in a second. When reading verse 27, it shows me that Jesus was there even in the beginning. Jesus was God in the physical. In my thinking, um, uh, in my thinking, that be how God created us in his, in his image, uh, the image of Christ. Yeah, he, I mean, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I think it's it's that's very good. <laughs> very good observation as well that we were created you know the bible calls uh adam the first adam and christ the second adam the difference is adam fell christ didn't fall and what what christ has really called kind of pulled us through we were created in the image of the first adam but we have the stain of the fall in our life every one of us has fallen the second adam restores us to himself to, to become like Christ. I made the statement one time, actually, I said, we are Christ on earth. When we become redeemed, we become one with Christ. And when you become with Christ, we are Christ. A lot of people struggle with that, that concept. You know, uh, they all want to say we're to be like Christ, but want, no one wants to say we're Christ. Like I am in Christ and he is in me. We are one. And I carry his image. I carry his identity, even his perfection in the spirit inside of, inside of me. There's the perfection of Christ living in, in me in the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a pretty incredible thing when you think, that's who I am. That's our image. We are in the image of God. Uh, I got another one for you, Pastor Rook. Two more. First one is from Jesse. Jesse asks, um, he says, let me get this pulled up for you um there are two enoch named in genesis yeah. 1 and, and genesis yes. 4 a son of cain the other in genesis 5 son of jared whom walked with god enoch yes. and elijah were taken up by god is the book of enoch historically valid good question um well um that's a great question <laughs> uh, you know i haven't spent a lot of time in the book of enoch uh, but Enoch was would have been probably a common name in that in that period of time. Obviously, the Enoch of Cain was not the same as the Enoch that was taken away with God. I noticed the same thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of books that kind of that are not in the canon of the Bible, 
And, and if I'm, if I'll be honest with you, there's some of them that are totally just, they, they, they contra the reason they're not in the canon is because they contradict, uh, the other scriptures that are, that are there. But there are some books that were very close to making the canon that didn't, that actually give some insight into some of the scriptures. So, um, although it may not be canon and considered God's word written, I, I think it does certainly give some light on some of how to interpret the word. Got a, a few more here for you. Um, uh, my buddy Pierre that uh, is from Canada is yes. asking, um, is there a reason why Adam and Eve didn't eat from the tree of life? If they would have eaten from it, are we to assume that they would have eaten from the tree of knowledge and then from the tree of life? Uh, then death uh, would not have been possible. God mentions that yes. if they would have eaten from the tree of life, they would have uh, lived forever. Great question. So, yeah, there. This is this is one of those things where I think uh, in the era we're living in, when we think of death, we think of our bodies ceasing to exist. So when God says death would enter the world, he wasn't just talking about your physical body dying. He was talking about this thing that lives in us, the spirit that lives in us, that brings life to us. Like when you come to Christ, you experience life. It's abundant life. And you're like, I'm born again. This is where the term born again in John chapter three, you're born again is this thing in you comes alive and you're like, I feel alive. I feel life. Well, when Adam and Eve ate in the garden, they covered themselves up because they had died. There was death. The tree of life would have physically sustained them forever and ever in a state of death. And, and in order for them to be free from that, they needed to physically die in order for them to come back to life. So that's what Christ did. So yes, it's true. It's, it's, um, they, they did eat of the tree of life. I, I really believe they ate of the tree of life before they ever ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they actually experience it. Here's another thing to consider. The tree of life would have had spiritual fruit. Some people think the tree of life had apples. It, it, it wasn't a fruit of an apple. It was a fruit that was called life. And when they, <coughs> sorry, I have a cold that's trying to linger. Um, when you have, a, it was spiritual fruit that they were able to see. So even, even when, they, um, when they sinned, they would have lost their ability to even see with spiritual eyes. And so even though the tree of life would have been there, it had been very hard to see the fruit on the tree because it was fruit that you saw with spiritual eyes that sustained you. And, and this is interesting. If Jesus is the tree of life and you feel discouraged and depressed and defeated and you're, you have no favor, then, then where does that come from? It comes from the tree of life. And you only see Jesus. You only see how to eat that fruit when you have spiritual eyes. Like when you come to Christ, he opens your eyes and your ears so that your heart perceives and that you're healed. That's what the scripture said. So it, at this time, every time they would have eaten of the tree of life, they would have seen the fruit. But when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and their eyes were opened, their physical eyes were opened, their spiritual eyes would have went silent and would have been hard to even see the fruit in the tree of life. 
this is an interesting one. Jesse's with these deep ones that I think are unanswerable. Um, I'm sure you see it on the screen. I think he that's says, what he's trying to do. Is he's stump. just trying to. He's just, Jesse's just trying yeah. to stump you. Uh, he said, "I've heard it said it's possible that there are two creation stories, Genesis one and Genesis two, being separate atoms." Yeah. Thoughts? No. Yeah. Th- this is uh, quite honestly, this is easily explained. Um, in fact, a number of people will explain this. You can go go on Google and you can see this as well. It's just basically giving the overview of the creation story and then going back into the story and giving more detail and what took place in the story. So it it was a co- it's actually a common form of ancient writing where they would do this, where they would give you the overview and go through the whole thing, and then they would come back in and just insert certain details of what took place within the creation story itself. So... Um, we tend to think that it was all linear. It's not being written linear. There are there are forms and styles of writing that we see uh, even in this. And and even though Moses wrote this, there is the possibility that some of this Moses got some of this from things that would have been written long ago. In fact, there are people who are saying there was no writing in the days when Moses would have wrote this. We know for a fact that that language and written language existed at the time of Moses. And so when Moses would have written this, he might have written it, the whole Pentateuch or Torah, some of it would have been information that would have been passed on to them from generation to generation and sort of even the creation story. Yeah, so you guys keep keep putting in your questions we're going to keep answering them, but there are a lot of topics to go over. I mean, we still got uh, the fall, which led to uh, the story of Cain and Abel, then from the descendants of Cain and the descendants of Seth and brings to Noah. Uh, then we got uh, um, the Tower of Babel. So I just want to we're, we're going to keep moving on. Um, and well, if you guys be, have questions, before keep we go in too there. far, it's yeah, yeah. something else I, I wanted to bring up. Like there were dinosaurs in the Bible or there were dinosaurs that existed and. Um, they would have been alive when Adam and Eve would have been in the garden because this there's some things you just you, you that will help us understand this. Death did not enter the world until Genesis chapter three. So man existed. Um, man existed uh, during the time of dinosaurs. You can look at the the kids. You know Cain and Abel when murder in, enters the world. Cain murders Abel and then. And then later in the next generation, you see, um, you see uh, his grandson killing somebody. Um, that there's there's evidence of generational curses where we see it from generation to generation. In these first fifteen chapters of the Bible, there it there is an extraordinarily amount of of um, thoughts. Or, or theological uh, uh, beginnings that take place where we're seeing it take place right from the beginning. So let's move on. We could go into uh, something else. Um, you know, one of the questions they tell me that um, people ask about is, is, is tithing a biblical principle or not? I, I always call it a creational principle. If you go into chapter 4, 
it says that uh, Cain and Abel, and, you, and I just referenced this story, it said that Abel kept flocks in, in verse number uh, two. It said, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from, the sum of the, from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. This is one of the first references to tithing, the first fruit. Um, why, why was God not looking favorably on Cain? And then Cain gets angry about it. Why? Because Abel brought the best, the firstborn of his flock. But Cain brought his over time. He didn't bring the best to God. He brought really kind of the leftovers. After he knew he had enough, he brought God what God had demanded over time. And it had no favor. So it's not just tithing. It's your first fruits. It's the first. So when you give the tithe, you give it first. It's the first thing you give because God deserves the best. It's the best statement of saying to God, this is yours. I'm bringing to you what's yours because it belongs to you. And, and I'm, I want you to know I'm grateful for the rest. And, and we see one of the first references in history and people who say, well, no, tithing is part of the law and I'm not under the law. This is a creational principle. The law has yet to be even brought up. There is no law at this point other than creational law that is already established uh, on the earth. Um, and so we're seeing something activated here in ancient times, and we see it in Abraham before the law. We see it happening as well. You can see uh, Mario in the chat. Mario asks, uh, can tithing be offering instead of money? Yeah, you know, tithing in that day was animals and food and that type of thing because there was no currency. Um, the re re reason tithing is more tied to currency today is because it's easier easier to distribute it. Because uh, Malachi chapter 3 really defines for us what that is, that we're to bring it into the storehouse. Well, if you brought your sheep and your goats into this church right now, where if this was your church and you brought it here, we'd have to then go and sell it. Um, so most people are not paid in sheeps and goats and 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 grains or food they're paid in money and so it's 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 paying the tithe off of what it comes in as so we have farmers that attend our church they they sell the animals and do their business and then it's off the first amount of money that they give they give often it's just easier in the economy we live in great question though and it's a question a lot of people ask keep going so uh, as we go on from Cain and Abel, let's go to Adam and Noah. I feel like we're just we're just marching through thousands of years here, and we're missing a whole lot. Uh, but if you go through that, you 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 here's a good question: Who is the oldest man who ever lived? Uh, somebody can post that right away. Who is the oldest Who's man? Who's the oldest man? Let's see. We're challenging you guys right now. Pastor's challenging you. See if you actually read this. Who is the oldest man? In all of history, who's the oldest man? Put it in the man chat. Man who lived the longest. Man who lived the longest. And and what's interesting is, uh, we'll keep looking for that person to get in there. Um, it's an interesting name, but but this is pre-flood. After the flood, you'll notice the age of people. There it is. Oh. 
<laughs> Pierre did it, dude. How long? Nine hundred and uh, uh, there it is. Nine sixty nine. <laughs> no reference to nineteen sixty nine, right? <laughs> uh, Nine hundred sixty nine years. You know, um, after the flood, we notice the age goes down. And and if you go into the canopy theory, I really want to encourage you to go into the canopy theory online and, and look into this. There's YouTube videos on it that you can listen. It will just ignite in you a whole bunch of studying about this. But um, when you, it, uh, a- after the flood, we notice that the age starts to go down, down, down. And, um, and, and people tend not to live as long. And it, it's very quickly that it goes down so that at Abraham, he wasn't as old, even close to as old as his forefathers before him. So the flood comes and it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm going to bring this up before somebody else brings this up. Uh, but the Nephilim, which there is really no, uh, really clear understanding of what made the Nephilim, but it's an interesting part in this this passage and something that I think would be interesting to, to hear about, uh, if not now in eternity, would be um, how Nephilim came into being. Uh, it says that the sons of God uh, had children with the women of men, and, and it refers to something, and these became the ancient heroes of old many believe is this where the gods and the like hercules and and all of these people came from was there was somewhat of a uh a, a spiritual component or a super like a heavenly host component mating with um human women uh it some even suggest that this is where demons came from uh, that the angels that fell from the sky, the, the third of the angels that fell from the sky uh, to the earth actually had intercourse with um, the daughters of men. Here's the problem with that. Angels weren't created to, they weren't created in, in the image of men. Uh, angels aren't in the image of men. Uh, it would be much like trying to mate a cow and a horse. I mean, they're t- totally different species. Um, we were created in the image of God. Angels were not. We were created to reproduce with one another. Angels were not created to reproduce. Angels are not reproducing in heaven. There isn't baby angels in heaven. Um, so the, to have the physical ability to do that, I just don't know how that's even possible. Uh, we got a couple questions <laughs> Um, one, I'm sure, cause you'll want to address this. This was previously about tithing. And then we have two more questions regarding Cain and his descendants where yes. he found his wife. But the first one I know you'll, you'll want to answer, um, Mario again, he, he was, he's curious. Why do churches these days, uh, are, why are they more into money than more, more than putting, I'm assuming that means the word into his people. Um, well, I, I that's an assumption. Yep. Um, I think that assumption has probably been perpetuated by people who don't tithe and haven't experienced that in their life. You know, the Bible says there are two gods, mammon and God. And he says, in fact, the only place in the Bible where God says to test him in anything is in the tithe. So I, I would say um, 
that churches aren't talking about money enough, actually, um, because we're so afraid of people saying we talk about it too much. And the reality is there's so many people who are robbing God of the tithe because it's a pretty serious thing. Read Malachi chapter 3. Um, but there are all kinds of people online saying all the church wants is your money. All the church wants, all the world wants is your money. Every business in the world wants your money. Everybody in your life, that should be very comforting to you because everybody in your life wants your money somehow, some way. They want you to give them money for something. And, and the church, you have to ask yourself, what is the church using the money for? Do we ask for money? Yeah. Well, what are we using it for? We're using it to help people in Maui. We give 20% of our budget away to help people around the world. So that, that that's a narrative I think Satan has been very good at perpetuating to keep people in bondage so they don't tithe. Um, and the reality is we spend most of our time taking the word and putting it in people. But we also have to pay bills. We also need to buy the equipment to do that. We also need to do all of, uh, like, pay the electric bill, or, or we're not even here. Uh, because people, the people who are doing that, the ministers who are doing that, also have to live and raise families as well. And they do that uh, because of the tithe. Now, here's the thing. You don't give because you're trying to do all of that. You, you, you tithe because God's demanded it. It's a command. And Malachi 3, he says, be, he says, you rob me. And they said, well, how do we rob you, God? And he says, you rob me because you do not tithe. And he says, I want you to bring it into the storehouse and then see how I'll open the windows of heaven and pour it in your life. If you talk to anyone who's tithing, who gives, uh, who brings, the people who tithe typically give more than just 10% of their budget. They typically give almost 20% of the budget. I tithe, and I actually give far more than my tithe to missions, to a number of other things that we do, and, and I've experienced the blessing in my life. And if you talk to somebody who's doing that, you'll get a different response than from those who are trying to attack the church with money. And, and, and those people are probably, they probably have never tithe, and yet they want to have an excuse for why they don't need to do that. This is my money, and I'm going to do. Uh, it's just not not so. It's not biblical anyway. Um, so we'll go on to the great great response. By the way, I, I always love when you say that. When you say, "Well, the world wants your money. <laughs> You're giving your money to a lot of other things. Like, why is it wrong that the that we fund well, the church?" Well, it's funny. Is no one's like saying all Keynes wants is my money. Exactly. All this government wants is my money. All the IRS wants is my money. All that they all want my money. You know, it it's just. Who's your provider? Mm. Is it it's God good. or is it you? It's good. And and you just don't live with mammon being your God. Um, okay, so we have Natasha. And now this is going to open a can of worms. So at your discretion, you can see how much you want to get into this. And it's followed up with Jesse. Jesse and Natasha's questions are kind of one and the same, and it's deep. So uh, we're going to crack it open. Natasha says, when Cain was made to wander the earth, how did he create another group of people when it was only him who was cast away? Yeah. So these are literally, when you think of the children of Adam and Eve, they're having daughters that apparently that are not mentioned. So at the beginning, and there's no way around it. I mean, this is what's going on. Sons are having relationships with their sisters, 
and they're they're having children and they're doing this over hundreds of years and so uh there's a number of births that are happening that we're not aware of and 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 it's in a small area of land so you have to think of the globe is not very populated there's a a small number of people in this area and interesting and this is interesting when i was in turkey um they were talking about the ancient times of, of r- during the biblical times e- before the Roman Empire. And they said there could have only been about 40 million people on the earth. So there weren't a lot of people on the planet, even in, in a few thousand years ago. So these are the siblings. They're actually having relationships with their siblings. And then th- they would go out and become tribes almost. And families would be developed. And then those, and they're probably doing this over a period of time within their own families uh, and, 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 and we see this even in tribes. Tribes form out of a family. A family forms a tribe and then they're having children. Cousins are marrying cousins and they're having children with each other uh, kind of strengthening that tribe that's, that's being born there. Uh, there was one other thing I, I saw there. Um, can you imagine living for a thousand years? I've lived 37 so far, and I'm like so old and have trouble fathom the possibility. <laughs> no kidding. Can you imagine having children at 300 years old or at 500 years? Noah, I think it was 500 years Noah had children, his sons. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? And, and the thing is, that's the incredible. When you look at the canopy theory, when you go into this, it talks about how when the barometric pressure and the oxygen levels are at a point, it actually increases longevity in our bodies and actually causes us to be younger. So uh, if you want to be younger, you're 37, want to look younger, maybe get a barometric, uh, uh, one of those pressure chambers, and then go into that every night, you, you might take off a few years. I understand that that part, but when pastors have people in their church that are hungry, but they living a big lifestyle, they'll be held accountable to God based on how they steward their finances. While some churchgoers go poor, again, uh, I know how um, I know that's what's perpetuated online all the time. There are a majority of pastors that I know of are not making a lot of money. In fact, they would be considered in the poverty range. I can tell you, I know what the people on our staff make. Um, they do. They didn't go into ministry to get rich. They didn't go into ministry to fleece people. That's what the internet wants to perpetuate. That's what they want to tell you. Um, but th- let's get back to really t- to that. We can get into that whole debate, and you can go into the, that debate for those who do abuse it or maybe do go down that road. You can have that discussion. But it, it doesn't change the fact that God demanded the tithe. They may have to answer for how they handled it and the finances, the way it went. Those, those people have to handle it. I'm not responsible for how they handle uh, finances in their context. What I'm responsible to is being obedient to the tithe and going to a storehouse where I feel comfortable with the pastors that I have. And uh, when I tithe, I believe I'm tithing into a field that I can trust, that I know it's managed well, and they take care of it. And that's really where it's at. We, we will always have misconduct. We'll always have abuse. 
It'll always be there. But when we throw everybody into that, we disrespect the number, hundreds and thousands of pastors that do not get paid very much, that are making sacrifices in their home because they love people. So let's go on. We go from the, the flood and Ben, who was helping us here, he said, you know, he had never seen it before, but the raven, you always hear about the dove going out and coming back, but you never hear about the raven. You know, it's interesting, especially when you're covering thousands of years in these first few chapters, the fact that it, they sent out the raven. I was talking to him. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. I wonder why it was put in there, why the raven went out and and what the raven um, has to do with this whole narrative because it says he went out never even says he came back it says the raven went out searching for land and then he goes to the dove and the dove of course goes out goes out again he brings back a, a a piece of olive branch and then he goes out again and he doesn't return and then no one knows it's time to be able to go out <coughs> the the this whole story of noah and the flood is it it's an incredible story, and you see the rainbow, which is the covenant that God says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again. Um, uh, you see the acts of, of, of Noah's sons, where uh, uh, Shem and Japheth uh, are honorable, but uh, um, Ham is not. He goes in, he looks upon the nakedness of his father, Shem and Japheth back in, and they cover their father, and and in and in Ham is is uh, Noah basically puts a curse on his son Ham and blesses his sons uh, Shem and J uh, not um, Japheth and Shem and uh, blesses them, and then we go on from there. We move on into the story as it goes. From there is so much stuff happening in this that we can look at that's going to help us later on in the scriptures where we're going to look back on and we're going to point to that and say that's kind of where it started right there um then we move on to um the table of nations it goes through the table of nations and and all of the nations and where they came from and you see a number of the ancient tribes that we're going to see in the old testament you see the beginnings right here and then on to chapter 11 which is where we're going to finish in the tower of babel and pastor what i thought was interesting is um because what you said that we're going to like go back to this later right um for those of you listening when i read the bible straight um, it's really interesting. Focus on on the curse on him and his descendants because of what he did to his father in relation to the Israelites inheriting the promised land because it's his descendants that are occupying uh, the promised land. Do you have anything to say in regards to that? Yeah. It, yeah. Well, later on when we get to that point, you're going to say, so the Canaanites— it, again, something that I that we're going to talk about. I think we even talk about um, in chapter layout at the end of chapter eleven. It's interesting, so I'll bring it up now. So, uh, something in history, and this is this is important to understand. When you study the Bible, we study the Bible, and we often do it in a vacuum. We do it in this 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 vacuum outside of history. 
you have to understand that the Bible was occurring within world history. And so if you, if you study the Bible within the context of world history, you're going to notice that world history validates what the Bible is saying. So when, when Abraham and his father migrate from Ur of the Chaldeans to, to the place which would be called Canaan later on when the Israelites come and they come into the land of Canaan, which is a offspring of, of uh, Ham— and the curse that Noah puts on Ham is that Ham would serve his brother Shem and Japheth, meaning his offspring, that he would always be a servant to them or a slave of them. And Abraham, they, they move this migration that takes place from in, in ancient history. We see a migration of people moving from Ur of the Chaldeans to this place called, which would become, become Canaan. And, and so we see Abraham's people moving there. It wasn't just Abraham and his father and Lot and Sarah that were going there. They made a decision to actually go to this place in Canaan that the, no, they really didn't know of it, within the migration of all of these other people that were going there. Later, when Israel's in Egypt and they're coming into the land, you know, they had been in Canaan. They had been amongst the Canaanite people because those were their people. They, they were in Canaan or in Egypt. When they're leaving Egypt, they're coming and there are the Canaanite people, the sons of Ham. And God is saying that, that literally these people will be your servants. Just as Noah had cursed Ham, that curse was still on them thousands of years later, and they would serve the people of God or the Israelites. So let's go to the Tower of Babel. Is that you, what you were looking for over there, Alex? Let's, um, let's look at the, the, uh, the Tower of Babel. What's interesting here is these people all come together, and they want to form a city. And what's interesting is it's not that God's against cities. <coughs> But God wanted man to spread across the earth. He says, go forth and multiply. What he was wanting them to do is spread across the earth. He wanted them to, to not congregate into a land, but he wanted them to be his people. And he wanted them to look to him for relationship and connection along with the people, but not in these huge contexts. Well, uh, it's funny because human beings tend to like to congregate as much as there are those, oh, I want to be all by myself. We are created for relationship. We love to be around each other. That's why we see millions and millions of people congregating to cities and they congregate and they say, let's build this tower with our intellect. Now, this goes back to the fact that these aren't cavemen. These aren't uh, insignificant, stupid, and dumb people. These are people who understand things. They're, they understand how to build this tower. They need to use a certain building material. They, they're even doing it. And we know they're doing it because God comes, looks at what they're doing, and it said, if we allow them to continue, they're going to do what they set their mind to, which is an incredible statement. The creator of the universe looks at his creation created in his image and says, we did such a good job. They, they actually have qualities of us working in them. There, there is actual things taking place in them that, that is so, they're so far more gifted than they even realize to do this thing. And, and if we let them, they're going to do this. And, and, and God knowing, being God and knowing time and knowing the whole, you know, 
timeline of life and all of it says we're going to change their language and and he shifts their language and this is what's interesting when we can't talk to each other we become divided which is an incredible practical thing of the importance of being able to talk to one another that we have to be able to communicate with each other in a way of of uh, understanding each other <coughs> Speaking of that, Pastor, um, Ben asked the question in Genesis 10.5, if you want to go there, I'll have it on yeah. the screen after uh, when, once you get there. Genesis 10.5, he said, I thought they all spoke one language until Babel, but this indicates before. So if you have it pulled up there. And tell that their languages were, so in, what is it? I'm Genesis 10.4. Genesis 10, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen too for you guys that are watching. Yeah, it says that. Um, let me look it up. Yeah, from from the coat from these yeah, the coastal people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. Yeah, that's a great point. Have no idea the answer to that, and I didn't even see that when I read that. That's that's a great point. Ben's always got the great questions. I told yeah. you, man. Yeah, Ben. Maybe you should stop putting them in there. He's just stumping me. Just left trying to right. make us look bad, man. Jesse and Ben just trying to make you look bad. Uh, I was just kidding. No. But these are things too, like for you guys that are watching, like these questions. Um, I love when I find things that I missed before. I know Pastor James does too. Write them down, and ask God to reveal them for you, and then just do your research on them. Just look into it. And next week, yep. let us know what you. Yeah, th these are the type of things that we often do. You know, um, Alex and I have had an opportunity to travel quite a bit. And, uh, and even with our campus, I'll, I'll often throw these things out there and, and um, try to challenge them to, you know, what does this mean? And, and, and I'll tell you what, there's, we, we tend to read the Bible not even one time through, and we think that we're reading the Bible all the way through. We say that, well, I read, I read the Bible all the way. We really didn't. We kind of skipped a lot and did a and then we think because we read it, it's like a book that you read once. I'm telling you, every time you go through it, something's going to pop out to you just like that. I had never seen that before. It's going to pop out. That's going to be something I'm going to look into and find out why that is that the way it is. And then, um, and then go into it. And it just brings, it, it actually kind of draws you into the Word. It kind of makes it exciting, something you look forward to doing because... We were all created to discover, and uh, to be able to go into God's Word and discover is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about the Tower of Babel? We're coming up on an hour here. Yes. Um, we're at 104. There's so. one, one more thing that I want to bring up, and that is what I'd already addressed, um, that it wasn't really Abraham who made the decision to go on this migration. It was his father. Abraham continued it on when his father died in Iran. And God never really told Abraham to take Lot with him. But Lot God Abraham takes Lot with him on the journey. And God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to go on this journey. But when he takes Lot, it's like God goes silent on him. And we'll get into that in the next few chapters as we're reading. So we're going to read from uh, Genesis chapter 12 to uh, to the end of the tw Genesis 29. So we'll almost get to the end of Genesis, well, not quite to the end of Genesis, Genesis 29 next week, and we'll talk more about what's going on from, uh, from that point on. So if you have any questions, write them down. I would love to talk about them. 
um, just as we did with the tithing thing and other things. Believe me, you aren't going to offend us. Uh, of course, you should be honoring. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> careful. <laughs> don't don't yeah. want to encourage too much of it. But it, it, we could sit down and we could talk about the Word and uh, and learn together. Yeah, and the goal of why, again, we're doing this is we are constantly having these conversations. And you guys brought up some great questions. I think a lot of times people get frustrated when they don't understand. Um, don't get frustrated. There's The Bible is... Is complex. It's not only physically hard to sometimes understand, but spiritually, there's just such deep thoughts. But make it make it like fun for you. Like it's a think of it like a treasure hunt, like a a word find. And as we read the Bible together, you're gonna start noticing things. And I hope that you look back to what you read and you start seeing connections. So continue to ask questions. We're doing this to encourage you and your to have your own reading time uh, and your own prayer. Uh, time with God. So uh, we hope yeah, this and, encouraged and we'll you. Continue, and we'll continue Every to bring week. up things for you to go and study. We're not going to give you all the answers. So like the canopy theory, I would go research that. I would take a look at, you know, you can check out the Nephilim. That's always a popular thing with uh, people. What is that? Why is that there? You can look at the Tower of Babel and what there's the flood. There's a lot of stuff online that you can research too that will help with that. Uh, but those are all things that um, will just in, you know be interesting to study. Yeah. Thanks guys for watching. I'm gonna make sure I put this. This will be. This will remain all the previous ones. So if you're watching this back, all the previous live streams that we're gonna be doing, I'm gonna keep hosted in the Bible in the year playlist. I'm also going to upload it to our podcast so you guys can listen to this and follow along. And we're going to be doing this every week. So, you know, I'd encourage you, we have it in the top right of the screen, Bethelsrock.org slash Bible in a year. I Guys, I'd encourage you to invite a friend to this, share this with a friend. The reason actually why we're doing this is a, a friend of mine was struggling to read the Bible and uh, I started asking Pastor James the possibility of, of doing this. And so um, invite your, your unsafe friends or people that don't know Jesus into this with you as well. So I pray that you would share this um, and go back and listen to it and go back and read and keep up uh, with next week's plan so we can have a good discussion next week. Ask questions and we will see you uh next week, whenever that would be, uh, Wednesday, 12 PM. Love you guys. Make sure you subscribe and hit that notification button.